In episode four of this podcast in August 2019, I had the delightful opportunity to interview a young Catholic mom, Anne-Marie Miller, who was really struggling to build community for her children because they are both still too young for most homeschool programs. She had some great ideas to try, and we agreed to have her back to give a progress report. So stay tuned for part two of Building a Network When Your Kids Are Small. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Welcome, I'm your host, Lisa Maladnik, and today I'm following up with a wonderful young mom, Anne-Marie Miller, on how her networking and community building is going for her young children. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Anne-Marie Miller is a Catholic wife, mother, and freelance writer, a graduate of Franciscan University with a degree in English and theology. Her writing has been featured on Verily and CatholicMom.com. She spends her days as a stay-at-home mom digging in the red dirt of Oklahoma with her young children and blogging at Sacrifice of Love, where she speaks, I'm sorry, where she writes about literature, Catholicism, and the epic adventures of daily life. And Sacrifice of Love can be found, this will be in the show notes, but it's marionninja.blogspot.com. And again, that's in the show notes. Anne-Marie, thank you so much after all this time for coming back to the program and following up with us on, on your topic here, which is so interesting. Well, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's so good to see you and hear from you. And it's really fun to be able to have this opportunity to look back on the past several months. As you know, we're in wildly different circumstances now <laughs> than we were in August as a country and as a world. So it's really a fun time to kind of look back and see where we've come and having no idea where we're going from here. I know, it really is in that sort of ebb tide moment um, where we're a little bit kind of like, ooh, how's this all going to shake out? Now, we're recording here in late April, but um, this will be airing in mid-May. So I think by that point, we maybe we'll have a little bit more clarity, but, you know, suffice it to say, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and this is definitely something new for us. So with everything that you were able to do in the last several months prior to the lockdown, before things really shifted, let's talk a little about what you tried and what that was like. How did it work? You know, those sorts of things. Put us in the picture of what your year was like. All right. Well, I think a big thing that I had to start with was really my mindset shift. Because when we talked last summer, I was really feeling frustrated and a little overwhelmed because so many of the fantastic homeschooling opportunities here in Oklahoma are catered towards children a little bit older than mine. And I was really trying to find a way to help them experience the homeschooling lifestyle that we plan to enter into as a family. And then a couple things happened. And um, the first one that really happened was I was reading up a little bit on classical education. A lot of Catholic homeschoolers rave about classical education. They talk about teaching their kids Latin and having them do Shakespeare plays and all of these wonderful things. But I read just one little line somewhere about classical education, that the goal of classical education is the pursuit of virtue. 
And I read that and it was such a good experience. It was such a good reminder that I needed that whatever we do for homeschooling isn't about how many groups we join or how many plays my kids can act in, but it's really all about pursuing virtue. And so reading just that one little sentence in a book that I can barely even remember was huge for me. It -hmm. was so good. And I just think for the rest of my homeschooling life, I'm just going to have to remind myself with that every single year as I hear about great opportunities that the goal of all of this is the pursuit of virtue and the pursuit of God. Mm, So there might be great opportunities, but we're only going to do what simply and essentially is bringing us right here in our current state closer to God. Oh, yeah. And I love that you had your big aha moment about what it's all about for you. Because I feel like with, you know, we homeschooled for um, maybe 10 years and or whatever it was, several years anyway. And we knew people along the way and still are friends with people at a lot of different stages in their homeschooling journey. But when you drill down into what made you do it or what is it about for you, certain families are super crystal clear about that epiphany, that aha moment about what it meant to them. And so for you to have found that aha, that North Star to guide by, that's something, as you said, you're not going to want to let go of. You're not going to want to forget as you go along and make choices. And it becomes a lens then for making those choices and evaluating the opportunities. Because as your kids get older, obviously, you're going to have more and more opportunities to choose. Yes, definitely. Um, It was really good, like you said, a guiding star, which kind of left to the second part of my big mindset shift which was that I had been thinking through this whole issue with a bit of a scarcity mentality saying, Oh, there aren't as many opportunities as I would like for kids, the ages of my kids. Oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. And looking at the whole goal, my big guiding point, I suddenly realized I should have a mentality of abundance and see that God is actually providing us many opportunities. They may not look like the opportunities the other homeschool families we know are participating in or that I had even planned for, but he's just providing different people and different resources and that I don't need to worry so much about trying to have a perfectly polished idea, but that we can just kind of muddle through and see what happens. I love that. That's so freeing. It's like a whole new, like you said, a mindset shift so that you're actually viewing the world differently. And I always feel like whenever the mother learns, the trickle down into family life can be profound over time. That just shifting really does matter. That's really neat to hear that you've kind of seen that happen. Absolutely. Um, So can you describe some of the things that became apparent to you as opportunities for practicing and growing in virtue? Yes. So one of the things um, that I had really, really wanted to do was regularly take my kids to a local park and do nature school where we read nature poetry, sit in God's beautiful creation, And I thought, this is such a great thing. All of these local homeschooling families we know, Catholic or non-Catholic, will come join us. And I think one time 
we had another family come join us. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I thought this was going to take off. But you know, my kids and I still went and we had a great time. And I started to think of it instead of being nature school, it was human nature school. Because wouldn't you know, there was this one elderly gentleman we started always seeing at the park. It coincided with his morning walk. And we got to talk with him. And he immigrated here from Iran, you know, over two decades ago. And it was so neat to be able to just on a surface level become acquainted with this gentleman. And he seemed to really appreciate being treated with such respect because he was telling me stories about how even now, even though he's been a citizen of the United States longer than I've been alive, he still experiences discrimination for be from uh, being Iranian. And so I thought that was really a neat experience that we were just coming to the park to do our little poetry and watching ducks, but here <laughs> my children could come up and see, you know, this really nice old gentleman who obviously is from a different country, he has an accent, and that they could see how we just talk with him and enjoy being in his company. Um, there was also another incident where we were actually still reading with our poetry book, and this middle-aged woman, she was probably like late 40s, I would say, was out walking her dog, and she saw us and just came over and she just seemed to really want someone to talk to Aww. because she had all of these different things on her mind and heart and I guess nobody to share them with. And so my kids played with her dog and she just stood there and shared things with me. And, you know, my three-year-old for weeks afterwards was talking about Miss Gina when we went to the park, like, oh, I wonder if we'll see Miss Gina this time. Aww. And so I just thought that was really such a beautiful thing God was doing, that here it wasn't what I had envisioned at all, but he obviously needed us there doing our little poetry thing so that we could encounter these people and so that my children could see the importance of encountering other people and being with other people of different races, of different ages. Wow. I mean, just the the simplicity and the power of that really can't be underestimated. Um, I know that I remember my daughter when we were first bringing her up in Brooklyn and the first few years of her life was very multicultural in our neighborhood and she knew people of all different sizes, shapes, colors, or, you know, international origins or whatever it was. And the first doll she ever asked me to buy was African-American in skin tone. And it made absolutely no difference to her. She saw it, thought it was beautiful and reached for it. She was two. And so, yeah, so the earliest moment, she really did grow up colorblind. We moved out to the suburbs and other people, she was experiencing a certain amount of racism happening. She was in a dual language program at first before we started homeschooling with a lot of children of illegal immigrants and things like that. So a lot of language barriers and things happening. She was so open to them. She was so... Um, she just championed anybody who was an underdog and really got in there and, and was sort of like brother and sister kind of a thing. And so I just want to affirm what you're sensing, which is that God placed those people in your path. 
that is really beautiful about your daughter. What a gift for her to be able to experience that. And that's really at the heart of what Catholicism is, you know, and what following Christ is to be able to champion the underdog and see all of those individuals, who they are as people with dignity. That's really, really wonderful. Yeah. And your own example too, the delight and the willingness to be flexible with whatever God kind of places in your path. These are all lessons that you probably can't quite put your finger on how it's affecting your children, but you can be sure that God won't waste the opportunity. <laughs> That's right. Hmm. Can you tell us about some of the other things that you did or, or what else came out of that experience? Uh, take us further. Um, so also it was a little after that time, we were in early fall and I just thought it would be fun since my nature school thing didn't take off. Like, even though it was really, really good, I was like, it would still be nice to do like a field trip or something with other families that have young kids. And so I hunted around and I found a local firefighter museum that had, I had never been there, but it was really, really cheap to get in. Um, I think most of the kids were able to get in for free. And I just said, I got one other family and said, we're going to do this. You tell your people, I'll tell my people. And we ended up having, golly, maybe like eight or nine families show up, I think. Um, We had like maybe like six at the beginning who showed up for the museum and then a couple people who showed up at the end to just play on the playground outside the museum and join us for a picnic lunch. Um, So that was really neat, a neat opportunity to get together with other families as just a very low key, let's experience this museum, let's learn a little bit. One of the moms talked with the man who worked there and he even like came out and set up an old like fire alarm system that they used to use several decades ago. So that was really, really neat. Um, And I guess I need to backtrack because leading up to that, I had talked with my one friend and said, you know, we're going to plan this trip. We'll pick a date. And then shortly after that, I was at an outdoor museum with my kids. And I saw this other woman who had like a five or six year old boy who was running around. And I just started talking with her a little bit. And she mentioned that they were homeschooling, but they are brand new to it. He didn't do well in the schools because like a normal boy, he's very active and that she didn't. And so I asked her if she had much of a homeschooling community and she said, no, she really didn't have many resources. So I was able to say, well, a few of us are planning this trip. Can I get your number? And so she came to the firefighter museum and she just seemed so touched. She was there till the very end with her son out playing at the playground that he could just run and play with other kids his age. We had Catholics and non-Catholics and just everybody all together. And it was really, really a great experience. Look at you. Um, Look at you being that person who was in a scarcity mindset and going, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Nothing that I thought I was going to step into in this almost renowned homeschooling area is panning out to you creating opportunities, not only for yourself and your children, but for other people and, and really drawing them into that gift of community. It's so beautiful. 
I also want to just comment on two things. One is you did a something strategically that was really smart. You got a commitment from another family. And then having gotten that commitment to each other doing this activity, you were then able to say, hey, we, more than one of us, are going to this activity on this date. For some reason, psychologically, that's a lot more attractive to people than would anyone like to meet us here? We're all alone. If they find out someone else is already on board and committed, for some reason, that tends to open the floodgates. So just, you know, sort of pro tip, if you can get other people on board kind of one-on-one and then put it out to your contacts, you usually will have more success. The other thing I've noted, too, is that when it comes to the kinds of activities, often parents will leap at opportunities that look like any kind of career development opportunity for their children. And so the idea of a firefighter museum or a little bit of history or something. But but I think in, as an Americans, we have that mindset of what work will my children do? And we get very attracted to those kinds of things. So I just wanted to point those out. But good job, you. Congratulations. Thanks. And thank you for the pro tip. I will definitely keep that in mind and use that. <laughs> and it was really, it was really nice doing it that way too. Instead of me feeling a burden of, well, I'm just going to pick a day and then try to find people to be, well, if all else fails, at least we have one other family who's going to go with us. You're not so stressed about who's going to show up. Yes, exactly. So we actually did something kind of similar about a month later um, because I decided I really liked having an event kind of on the back burner so that if I happen to meet people, like I met that one lady say, Hey, we have something coming up. Would you like to come? And so um, the next month I found out there was a local art museum that had a toddler story time and there's a park nearby. So I, that time I didn't actually find a family to go with us. I just kind of sent it out to maybe four or five different families and said, hey, we're going on this day. It's free. We're going to go to a park afterwards. And then like a day or two after I planned this, I was at the zoo with my kids. And there was a lady who had her three-year-old son and they were just wandering around looking at leaves. And she made a comment to me about how they're homeschooling. And I said, well, we're actually going next week on a field trip with some other families. Can I have your number? Would you like to come? And she showed up. Wow. Um, (laughs) So that was really neat. Um, You know, she seemed to appreciate being able to come. I have found people really like to be invited. Even if they can't come, they just like being invited to stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know, that was really fantastic. Just somebody random I met at the zoo and all because she mentioned they were homeschooling and I had an event. I could be like, oh, here's this thing. But then I also found, uh, we did a little bit of spontaneous stuff too. It was right before the holiday season. Um, We had a bunch of leaves in our backyard and a huge pile of sticks that has been in our backyard for about two years now that we haven't gotten rid of. <laughs> we keep planning to, and it hasn't happened. And my son, uh, both of my sons actually had the best time on a Thursday afternoon playing backyard in the leaves and climbing on the sticks. And I just looked at them and said, you know what? 
before we bag up all those leaves, we should just invite friends over. And so I sent out like a group of text messages that night saying, hey, anybody who wants to come and let their kids play in the leaves and sticks tomorrow and read nature poems, like here's my address. You can come over at, you know, like 9 or 10 a.m. or whenever. And we actually had like four families show up, I think. Wow. Um, just it's so, so inventive that, and lovely. Yeah, you know, and uh, my sons and I made a loaf of bread so that we'd have something to offer to people because it was such short notice. I couldn't get to the store. And that led to we were all outside in the leaves eating bread. And someone said that she had never made bread before. And this was pretty good. Next thing you know, another lady volunteers her house for the next Friday and says, why don't we have a bread baking day? And it was, it was so cool to just see that organic development and just see that happen. So it was really such a fun experience. And it was so neat to be able to meet with those women. I knew all of them, but some of them didn't know each other. And, um, it was so fun for them to just meet each other and share. And then they could all share about homeschooling because all of us have kids in the same ages and stages. And so it was really, really great. My goodness. Look at you. You are, it's funny because how many times has, you know, do we hear stories about the person who is at a parish meeting or something and they say, we really need something to happen or to change. And the person in charge will go, okay, you're in charge, right? I almost feel like God did that with you. You were kind of like, how am I going to do this? And you got put in charge of really helping other people who God has placed in your path to build this community, which I think is really exciting. Let's talk a little bit. Let's start to step into um, what the shift has been. With Now you add social distancing to this successfully building homeschool community. If you want to add in some of what was lost. In other words, I'm sure you have other great examples of what has happened and what you've learned and what's gone well. Feel free to integrate that into what has the transition been like? It's definitely been interesting. Um, for us, it was a little bit of a longer period of slow transition because we had all these great things that we did. And then we were traveling for the holidays, like two days before we left on our huge holiday trip, I found out that I was pregnant, which is very exciting. And <laughs> so we came back from all that. And I was pretty much a hermit for a month, mm. because I was so tired and nauseous. So we were getting to our normal story time events with the kids at the library. But I did not have the motivation or energy to plan any kind of homeschooling get together. But then I started feeling a little bit better, and I thought, you know, I want to do something, um, but I really don't have it in me to get together a big group of people or plan out logistics or anything, and so I'm just going to see if one family wants to get together, and then the next week, well, I'm going to see if this family wants to get together, and, you know, we'll go, you know, this family will go with to a museum that has toddler hands-on activities and then this family will go to this other place and this family will go to this one place. So really that we started transitioning into more 
let's just do something really good and community building, but with a very small number of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then right before um, all of the social distancing happened, it was the pretty much the day that the pandemic hit the state of Oklahoma, we were at the zoo with one of our homeschooling friends for several hours. And she and I were talking about getting together for poetry teas and park days with our kids and all of this great stuff. And then we couldn't get together. Uh. And so this has been good though, in a way, Um, obviously the pandemic is very bad, but it's been good in a way to help us, I think, as a family, kind of regroup ourselves and focus on what's really essential in our lives. And as much as I would love to get together for poetry teas and park days with that one friend or with that other friend who told me she wanted to start up, you know, a very, very casual soccer league for our four-year-olds. Ooh. Um, yeah, it sounded great. Now it can't happen currently with the pandemic, but all of those great things, I'm like, those are still going to be there after this happens. Mm-hmm. Quick question so, for you, Anne-Marie. Is your husband working from home or what's his situation in the midst of all this? Uh, he's working. Um, it's been mostly at home for the past several months. He's been a full-time student oh. with a couple of breaks where if there's a break in school, he goes to the office full-time. So we are very grateful and blessed that for the most part, he's been able to be at home through all of this, which is wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, my goodness. So um, tell us about some of the nice surprises of sheltering in place. I think uh, one of the really good surprises has just been getting to fall in love with our part of the city more. You know, uh, my kids and I are used to spending so much of our weeks at the public library or at get-togethers with friends, you know, at the park or anything that when sheltering in place hit, the local government was still encouraging people to get outside, just don't get together. And so we started exploring different streets in our neighborhood, um, different trails in our local park, even just today when... uh, This morning, before we recorded this, my kids and I decided we were going to walk on this one trail we had never really walked on before by the local park, and that was, I think, two and a half or three miles of us just exploring, and my children were so excited to discover this entirely untapped area within minutes from our house. So kind of falling in love with our part of the city has been really, really cool. Um, also getting to connect with our neighbors. Obviously, when the weather was cold and everyone was inside and it was rainy, it was very, very isolating. But once the weather started getting nice, people started getting out more onto their front yards and front porches. You could talk over the fence or, you know, talk from your driveways. And um, with so many people working from home, one of our neighbors, uh, we know her. We've seen her before, talked before, but she works very far away on the edge of the metro, works many hours a week, so we never see her. But this pandemic starts, and wouldn't you know, she's already come over to our house twice, um, one time to bring us toilet paper, another time (laughs) to ask us if we needed anything, because 
she's working from home. And so she actually is present in the neighborhood now. And so she wanted to just reach out. And we've also gotten to talk with her a few other times while we were outside. Wonderful. So it's been really, really neat. Yeah. I really feel like we've noticed it too, that in a weird way, a crisis can bring out the best in people, especially neighbors. We just simply become aware of the fact that we are we are unified by this shared experience and we become more acutely aware of the needs of our neighbors. So, you know, who needs what? We had a tree come down in our driveway a couple of weeks ago that smashed both our cars. And oh, no. neighbors we'd never met before came out of the woodwork to help. Even though we were social distancing, somebody handed over that I'd never met. He lived on a different street, handed over a chainsaw and another, someone else came with tarps and twine and someone else helped with, you know, Anyway, all sorts of things. It was just amazing the way it brought people out. So I feel like a crisis sometimes can really help us to see our neighbors in a different way. Not that we're in separate bubbles, but that we're in this together. And I know we hear that a lot, but I, but I really think there is a, a piece of truth in that that's important to reflect on. And speaking of reflecting, when you look back on this year, what are some takeaways and what would you say are your goals for the future? So just kind of tie it in a bow for us. What, what are you taking away? I'm definitely taking away a greater appreciation for simplicity. Um, That's one thing I've also been learning in this time of social distancing and sheltering in place, that instead of even organizing a simple event with other people, um, we can't do that. And so it's forcing me to just depend on the very, very simple um, places that we can walk, spending time in nature and prayer. And it's showing me that it's really okay. Like our children will thrive just on being immersed in the prayer of the church and being outside and being immersed in good literature. Like they will thrive with that and everything else is extra. So that's definitely a big takeaway that I've had. And I also have come to a greater appreciation, I think, of the quality of interactions with people. Um, that even if I can't see them often, when we do see them, it can just be a really, really good thing. Um, I'm part of a small group with my husband that meets usually once a month in person, but then in this time of sheltering in place, we've been doing Zoom meetings twice a month, and it's always so good to see them and to talk with them, and so I think that'll really be something that impacts my life and our vision of homeschooling in the future that I won't feel as pressed to always have something, some kind of group or gathering all the time, but be um, aware that it's okay to have them spread out more because those interactions can still be really, really good and fruitful. Just gorgeous. I mean, just think about these bullet points the core value for building virtue and seeing that, seeing those opportunities, having real conversations with people, a better quality of relationships and simplicity, things like literature, time together, prayers, the prayers of the church, good literature, things like that. Just so gorgeous. Want to share a goal for the future? Um, I think a goal that I have once all of this sheltering in place and whatnot, once life starts to get back to a new normal, I think a goal I have is to be okay with making the occasional sacrifice of time and a drive to go to gatherings that are farther out. Um, Incidentally, right uh, 
right before I was hit with pregnancy sickness and then the pandemic, I happened to meet a woman at a gathering who's a Catholic and has created the kind of homeschooling group that seems right up my alley, geared towards young kids, very low commitment, very low key. She doesn't live very close. But, you know, I'm thinking on like a once a month basis, I could we could make that sacrifice. Mm. And now that we're in this pandemic and I'm thinking about things more, realizing that it would be hard to do something like that on a regular basis, but we could make the sacrifice to at least try it out and see what kind of opportunities are there to get to know other Catholic homeschoolers. You know, there was also um, another Catholic group, again, not very close to us, that I was able to connect with last fall that had a couple different um, social events, like an All Saints party, St. Nicholas party, and they were wonderful. But we didn't go very often to events because it was just not very close. And for my kids and nap times, that was really, really hard. So I think a goal for the future, though, is just being really, really choosy and saying we could make the occasional sacrifice. It won't, it might destroy our routine for one day a month, but that's one day a month. Mm. It's going to be okay. And then at the (laughs) same time, realizing, you know, back to the pursuit of virtue, what do we need for the pursuit of virtue? Right now we need a simpler routine. So we're going to joyfully say no to different opportunities so that we can say yes to whatever God wants to do in our family life. Beautiful. That's a, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. And, and, and that's real wisdom for someone who's been homeschooling, you know, for a relatively short period of time, Anne-Marie, I really feel like you've nailed some core truths that I think make for a happy and thriving and growing and evolving homeschool life together. Uh, we never know what's going to happen next, but, but with a learner's mindset and with an ability to, to draw out important lessons, uh, there's just... Uh, just in this nine months since the last time we talked, and I, as soon as I say nine months, I also think of your sweet little baby. Um, so much has, has, it, has changed and kind of blossomed. So we just have to keep following up with you periodically. I just don't want to lose contact with you. I think this is just too much fun. Does that sound good to you? That sounds great. It has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate all of your insights. I'm probably going to have to re-listen to this episode periodically to remind myself of different things when I feel <laughs> discouraged. That's what, it's like a sort of journal, right? We reflect back on what we, all the great aha moments that we had that we might have forgotten. <laughs> oh. Precisely. Exactly. Anyway, thank you again, Anne-Marie. It was just so wonderful to have you come back to the program, and I certainly uh, fully intend to have you come back again in the future. I would really look forward to that. Um, Everybody, thank you for being with us for this part two of building a network when your kids are small. And stay tuned for our short feature, Coming Right Up. Hi, this is Dan Lozonas from EinsteinBlueprint.com. And today I want to talk about a skill above just about every other skill that if we cultivate in our kids, will lead to and just about guarantee maximum success for them. It's all about goal setting. And in fact, right now, I'm going to have my 15-year-old son read an excerpt from the book he wrote and published. Goals. 
Among the super successful, there's a skill above all other skills. It's the ability to set and accomplish personal goals. This isn't about dreaming. Even the laziest people on earth dream about owning fancy jewelry, big homes, fast cars, and $100 bills, y'all. It takes no effort to just imagine. But if you don't take any action towards your dreams, then they stay just that, dreams. When you have a clear goal and a plan to achieve it, your whole body and mind will work around the clock and very hard towards this goal. Choose your goals wisely. I don't want to discourage you from your ambitious goals, but you can't be crazy. If you aim too high, your lack of progress will discourage you and you'll quit. Don't say you want to become a pro basketball player if you are short, slow, and always the last kid picked in gym class. Don't set out to be the next American Idol if you objectively sing like a bullfrog. If you pick goals that you really want to attain, they will automatically motivate you to not only do the hard work that is necessary, but also to bulldoze through any and all obstacles. Once you've figured out what you really want, you've got to come up with a comprehensive plan to put that Lamborghini in your driveway. So how do you do it? You actually start backwards. Say you want to write a book and have it in stores by the Christmas season. Obviously, you have to send it to the printer by Halloween. That means it must be completely written and edited by then. And if you want it to be 10 chapters long, and right now it's January, you got to write a chapter a month. So now you have a clear idea on how much work it's going to take and whether you're on track to achieve your goal or not at all times. A big goal will always have these micro targets beneath it. After all, if you want to lose 20 pounds in two months, you can't lose 19 pounds on the last day. Once you set a goal, no matter how high, you'll be amazed at how ideas, money, resources, and people materialize out of nowhere to aid you. As Paulo Coelho, the author of The Alchemist, says, When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. All right, thanks, John. He was reading there from page 80 of his book, Kid Trillionaire, How a Little Kid Can Make a Big Fortune. Certainly within the world of entrepreneurship, the ability to set one's very own goals and propel themselves towards them is a major ingredient for success. But this skill transcends financial outcomes. Your child, who through sheer force and determination, will be able to experience success on every level. They will be able to excel at a new sport, expand their social networks, tackle and solve difficult problems, and knock just about every curveball life throws at them out of the park. Yes, when they are little, we set their goals and we prod them to accomplishment. But our ultimate success as parents will be teaching them to fish for themselves. Here are just a couple quick tips on how to instill this super skill. Number one, if I can tweak Stephen Covey, begin with this end in mind. Constantly remind yourself that self-motivation is your goal for your homeschooled kids. Secondly, learn the science of goal setting. Inject it directly and persistently into your kids' curriculum. There are many books and much more out there on the basics of goal setting. Familiarize yourself and have your older kids read these books too. Third, Deploy the goal-setting tactics. Journaling is very helpful. Do-or-die deadlines are terrific. And accountability, too. Going back to my son and his book, John was only 12 years old when he wrote it. He was with me at one of my coaching meetings, and as it was wrapping up, he stood up amongst all the adults and declared that he would have his book finished and done 
within six months. Guess what? He did in fact get it done within that time frame and has sold over 1,200 copies of it already. But the big lesson, the big sale was internal. For the first time, he learned that he could set a lofty goal and achieve it. If you want to teach your kids how to set and accomplish their own goals, if you want more information on how to turn them into entrepreneurs, then visit John's website at kidsgetrich.com. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.